0: If you have your Bible, go and turn to 2 Peter Um, as we continue our series through this letter that Peter has written to the churches, and and specifically, we're looking at how um, he's given us this roadmap for growth, excuse me, this roadmap for growth within um, the church and within ourselves. And, and last week we kind of got to the part where I said this is typically where people um, land when they get to 2 Peter. Um, talking about the false prophets and the false teachers. We always want to know what those look like. And, and last week we really didn't see anything of what they look like. He just says that they were there. They're going to be there. And so he kind of explains what they do. But doesn't explain who they are, or what they look like, and, but today we kind of get into um, how are we going to see what these false teachers look like, what are their motivations, and because really we find that, that selfishness in this idea of ourselves comes really naturally for us, but it's the gospel that shows us to rest in Christ's work not our own. And, and we're going to see that that's really the motivation for these false teachers is that it's about themselves versus the church or about themselves versus other people, not necessarily in the church, those external as well. Um, so if you will uh, read with me, we're going to read kind of a lengthy passage and then we'll, we'll break it up into chunks as we walk through it. Um, we're going to start in verse 10 for today. So if you'll, <coughs> excuse me. If you'll follow along, Second Peter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater, in might, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters in which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction." "'Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. "'They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. "'They are blots and blemishes, "'reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. "'They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. "'They entice unsteady souls. "'They have hearts trained in greed, "'accursed children.'" Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Verse 17, he continues, and he says, These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm, for the gloom... For them the gloom and utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are again entangled in them and overcome The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returned to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. If you will pray with me and we'll ask the spirit to guide us through this passage today. Father God, we thank you that you've given us your words, that you've given us your instruction. God, that we can open your scripture and we can read the words that you have given us yourself through Peter. And we just pray that your spirit would guide us, that it would be the truth that you have established that we hear, it would be your truth that we remember and that we would be changed because of it. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. And and as we're going into this series, continuing to grow, and we start talking about false teachers, um, it, it has this, this time to where it could be a little, little edgy. It can, you can call people out. And, and a lot of people, we don't like that. We said that last week that a lot of times we refrain from directly speaking into people's lives. It's easier just to let them be than to avoid, than to be in the confrontation or something like that. But if we do that, we rob ourselves of the ability to actually grow through what is being taught by those that are outside the gospel, and we'll see that today, that, that we grow by understanding their, their predispositions, their their priorities, and then finally their plight. And today, that's what we're going to get into, is understanding what drives these false teachers, and how can we notice them? Because Just knowing that they'll be there isn't enough. We need to know what they look like. We need to know what they do in order to identify them so that we're not entangled in their web of deception. And so the first way we see that is we look at their predisposition. And and read with me again real quick, verses 10 through 13. It says, And especially those who indulge the lust of defiling passion, despise authority, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creature of instincts, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their own destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing. So we, we start to see what they look like here. We, we see a description. Peter gives us a description. He says, yes, they're going to be here in the verses preceding this. And then now he says, okay, here's what they're going to look like. He, and he starts to describe them. But what we see is in the way he's describing them is we see that the problem lies within their DNA. And, and you see that when they're bold and willful, they don't tremble at this. This is something that they're just wired to do. And, and it's something that we're wired to do also because it's an inward thing. They're arrogant, arrogant, arrogant and they're blasphemy. And what we see here is this difference between the angels and then, as Peter describes them, as the created beast. When we see that the angels won't even pronounce this, what, what he's showing there is that although angels are higher than us in the created, or angels are above us, we're, we're chosen and even the angels aren't going to pronounce these heresies. They're not going to blaspheme this way. And, and really what we're talking about here is against the true teachers and against the true church. And so if they're bold and willful, they're not going to tremble when they blaspheme the glorious ones, the ones chosen by God. He's saying that not even the angels do that, but these do. They're, and, they're, they're willful. They're bold in this. And it, so it's, it's just something that is in in their nature is they even forsake the glory of God because they are blaspheming against the ones that he has appointed and we, we can say that they're glorious ones because God appoints people and and those people that are appointed by God represent his glory and so these false teachers are blaspheming them thereby blaspheming God and naturally we always look towards ourselves we always look towards ourselves, but we, we see that Peter's showing us the magnitude of that when he describes them as irrational animals, creatures of instinct. Okay, when you, when you think about that, you think of animals. Um, most of the time, people aren't simply led into a destructive situation. We, we, have, this, we have the capacity of thought. We work things out. There's some animals that kind of get there to it, but they can be forced humans aren't like that. So when Peter's saying they're irrational animals, they're, they're just creatures of instinct. They're going to be caught and destroyed because they simply do their own thing. They don't change course. It's the way you can always see animals and you can know where they walk. If you have dogs in the backyard, there's a good chance you have the same trail in your backyard. Cows do the same thing. Just animals do that. And that's what he's saying here is that they're irrational. They don't think through this. They just do instinct. It's this natural predisposition to do this because we're naturally opposed to the truth of the gospel. I was yesterday, I was in the, the backyard um, going through uh, the sermon again, just preparing. And we have this new vicious little dog called Titan. It's a little weenie dog. He's like this big. And the the rule that I told Lindsay when we got that dog is that he at least had to have this big manly name. If I'm going to have a little puny dog, at least give him a manly name. Well, I don't know. So we picked Titan. So, and, and he's running around in the backyard, like barely he's able to jump up onto the porch because he's literally like this. And, um, but he had his sock and, and just like any dog, he grabs his sock and what's he do? He tries to kill it, right? And he's shaking it around. And it's like, there's probably not another animal that he would do that to. You could probably have a bird fly at him and he would run. But his instinct is to grab that and to shake it and try to kill it, and that's what what Peter's saying here is that they don't even think about what's happening. Just as you see these animals and, and, and this dog Titan that is by no means intimidating. I, I thought about putting a picture up there, but you would just laugh at his small stature and and think. But but he does everything he gets, he tries to kill, and that's what Peter's Peter's using here is their. They don't think. They're like animals. This is just instinct. They're blaspheming the ones that God has appointed. They're going against the church. Remember, he said earlier that they're bringing in destructive heresies. They're bringing in destructive heresies. They're going to cause problems with the gospel. And it's just by instinct, he's saying. this; It's just like an animal that does whatever it naturally does. There's no rationale for what they do. They just do it. And this is what Peter's saying, that these... False teachers that will be present simply do it out of nature, do it out of instinct. In a sense, you can look at that and almost feel sorry for them because they don't realize it. They don't get it because they're so busy focusing on themselves. They're going to speak about freedom that they don't have it. And then Peter's already told us that they even deny the master that bought them. So we're going to offer freedom through living a certain way. They're going to bring in these heresies that say, this is how you do it, yet they don't even understand it themselves. They're going to talk about grace, but not understand the scope that it has in our life. It's just that topic that that people want to hear about. It's this grace, it's this forgiveness you don't deserve, yet they don't apply that same grace to their life or to others. They speak of duty, calling, and commitment, yet follow their own instinct, not the one of their master. So you can't talk about duty and calling if you yourself don't follow the master that bought your freedom. And they're going to speak of forgiveness, yet they're headed to destruction. The wage of their wrongdoing is destruction. There's nothing positive that's going to come out of this for these people we can see this. We start to see what they're doing. It's just this instinct. And then really we see a shift in Peter's dialogue here. We, we shift from seeing this predisposition. It's this natural thing to then seeing their priorities. Seeing their priorities. As he says they, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their blots and blemishing, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Verse 13. <clears throat> Literally they're excited and they take pleasure in what they're doing. See, they're creatures of instinct, but they understand that what they're doing is bringing stuff back for themselves. When you see false teachers come to light, that's how you expose them, because the one that's gaining everything is going to be themselves. They might not look that way at the time, but as time goes by, these false teachers that are teaching something opposite of the gospel is really all about themselves. Their priority is themselves. They revel in their deception while they feast with you. Literally, they're part of us. And they're excited and they might be fun to be around, but Peter here is saying is what they're having pleasure in is the fact that their deception is invisible to you. Their deception isn't noticed by you. That's where they get pleasure. It's not by being in your company or being in the gathering. It's the fact that they have hidden stuff in their lives and they're deceiving you to think that they have it figured out. They're blots and blemishes because they act like they're with us, yet they're not. Look at their eyes. How he says, Their eyes are full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. Their heart is trained in greed. Everything about them they see for themselves. It's all about passion and the flesh and this gaining for ourselves. And it doesn't mean that they don't understand what they're enjoying. But oftentimes this this deception goes unnoticed because we just look at face value and see that, oh, they're with us. They're going kind of in the same direction. But we don't look at the intent of what they're doing. See, what we see here is that there's a lot of ministries. There's a lot of churches that look healthy and positive on the outside, yet they're reveling in their deception as they're with us. Just because you go out into the community and do something, if the motivation is not for the gospel itself and it's somehow to make you feel better about what you're doing, then it's not a gospel work. It's a selfish work. And right here, Peter says that that's a false teacher. That's a false gospel. And we see that they're greedy and they're lustful. Their attitudes are that way. And then mixed in the middle of this, we see this, another, another passage uh, with the Old Testament, the story of Balaam. It's an interesting story. We're not going to go read it because it's, it's quiet, but I'll explain it. What this was is they just finished um, in the wandering God's people in the, in the desert for 40 years. And the kings, they'd, they'd, this is kind of after Jericho, some of the stuff had been happening. And there was this king that was kind of scared of them. And so he thought, well, what if I just get one of their prophets and pay them to curse the people? I'll use one of their prophets against them. And that's what he did. He offered this guy money to come and, and curse God's people. Because if, I, if, if someone curses them, then maybe they won't overcome us. And, and he does. And he's warned and he's warned and God tells him not to go and yet he continues to go. And it's all for the greed. And you see Peter here, he, he literally, a donkey rebukes him. And it's one of those things where, wait a second, what happens but and we a lot of times we'll focus on the fact that it was a donkey speaking and we should be focusing on the fact that it was the greed of all about himself is what God's problem was. That's what he had the problem with. It wasn't anything about his life other than it was focused on himself and not on God's calling. Okay? It's an interesting story and it's exactly what happens in our world today is that people speak God's truth, yet it's all for their gain. We speak God's truth, but it's all for the game. Everything's set up for them to be the winner. And, and you see what Peter says, what, what good are they? He said they're worthless because he said they're waterless springs. And you think about this, this context here. It's not, they didn't have the ability to go turn on a faucet. A spring without water was worth nothing. That's what it still is. And that's what you see with, with the drought and everything. What's everyone talking about is the aquifers are going down. We got to conserve water. It's the same problem today. It's just not as evident because we don't go to the spring. We don't go to the well and draw water. And that's what he's saying. These people are, are worthless. They're waterless springs. And they're a mist driven by the storm. There's not one focused path that they do. That's what he's saying here. It's the mist driven by the storm. So they go all over the place. You're not going to pin these people down. And that's what happens when you confront them. They, they shift and they move and they say, well, that's not really what I mean. It's, it's always bouncing around to gain another advantage for themselves. They don't stay in one lane. They shift their false gospel to another area where it delivers to themselves, where its promises are kept in them um, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's it's not talking specifically about this idea, but what he's the meaning is the same. Where he's talking about we're called to love others as ourself, and then he had a problem with that. But he realized that there was always one person that he would forgive, no matter what happened. It didn't matter what they did, he always forgave, and it was himself. Well, that's the same thing here. Is it's their self is their motivation. It's their focus. It's their priority. And that's how you identify them. There's not one way to look at what they're going to say. It's the message and it's the recipient of what's coming because of that message. And that's always going to be themselves. And that goes for people speaking into the church. That goes for myself. That if it's ever a gospel preached or it's gaining on me, then I would become, just like Peter's saying here, a false teacher because I'm swaying people away from the true God from the true gospel and gaining it myself because if you look at that look who's swayed by these false teachers it's the unsteady souls It's people that literally the gospel hasn't taken root enough. They're not maturing in their faith, so they're easily enticed. And it's those people that follow them. Not because that's who they draw. It's just because that's naturally who would go wondering about understanding what this gospel is. They're unsteady because they're growing. That's why we have to be all the more diligent as the body of Christ is to disciple people, to train them and mature them so that they can see false teachers. They can't identify false gospels and then not be drawn by them. Because if we remain unmature and not growing in our faith then we're going to be enticed by these people. Especially in our age where media is so easily available. You can listen to anyone that has a computer that can easily record something and then post it as a podcast. It's easy. You can Google or you can YouTube videos of anything So, we must be purposeful in discipling each other so that we do grow and mature in our faith in the true gospel, so that then we can refute false teachers because they will be there. And then, lastly, we grow through understanding their plight, we see the condition they're in. Verse 19, it says. They promise them freedom, them meaning the people. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For what overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last days become worse than the first. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened, that a dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. So we see their plight because the situation they're in is a negative one and they don't even realize it. And we see that by they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. You can't offer what you don't yourself have. Yet they try. They're going to come and they're going to they're talk to people and they're going to sound good and they're going to offer this freedom that they themselves don't experience. We see that because they've denied the master that bought them. If you don't fall under Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in every part of our life, you can't offer freedom in his name because you yourself don't have it. And... <coughs> excuse me. But we need to be careful here because if we read this... Then we're going to feel like, if you just look at it, you're going to look like, well, wait a second. Right here, Peter's saying that, that you can lose your salvation. Because it looks like, if you just read this, that that's what he's talking about. Wait a second. They've understood the the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They understand that knowledge, but they fall back. So so we can lose our salvation is what Peter's saying. That's not at all what he's saying because that would contradict what he says elsewhere In 1 Peter One, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There's that salvation to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then in 1 Peter 1, 4, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power. You're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here, Peter, in this first letter, they're saying, no, you've been given this inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept for you by God's power. But yet here in second in, in Peter saying, but wait a second. It says that they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, but they're again entangled in them and overcome. So, so is he contradicting himself here? And I would say no, and what he's referring to is that people that have come to knowledge, they understand some of the gospel, yet it's not enough of saving gospel. As you see, we, we proclaim the gospel and it goes to all, but not everyone is changed by the gospel. They display an outward change, but not a lasting change. Um, Warren Wiersbe, uh, a theologian and pastor, says that they are professors, not possessors. They seemed to experience salvation, but in due time, they drifted back to the life that suited their nature. And what we see here is, you see this all the time, if you are honest. You see people come to church, they come to this gathering, they experience this great moment, and they, their lives starts to change. But as time goes by, they start drifting further and further away. And that's what Peter's talking about here, is that they escaped the defilements of the world because they understood some of what Christ has taught them. Again, they're entangled. Why? Because their nature wasn't changed. They weren't truly saved through the gospel. It was merely an external shift instead of an internal rebirth. And that's where you may have heard people say that only time will tell. That's the same thing here, is perseverance through life is evidence of salvation. And, And we can be secure in our salvation if we continue to persevere. It's not saying that Christians... Who are saved won't have trials. They won't have temptations. But it says that Christians that are truly saved will overcome those. And these false teachers that Peter's talking about here won't. They will fall back eventually. They will fall into something that suits their nature. It goes back to them. Remember we said they're selfish. They're selfish. And then... Um, I love how, how he uses this proverb at the end that a dog returns to its vomit. Well, as a youth pastor, I always use that one because that gets kids listening. Wait a second, dog eating its vomit? It's like, yes, for kids. And you're like, no, that's gross because then I have to clean it up or it's just nasty. But but it's so true. And it, it's so true that, that this is what they're doing. That it's, it's that same idea of what these people are doing. They find the goodness and they understand something about what, the life God has called us to through his son and they try to go out on their own. They try to go out under their power and in time they return to what they originally were. There's a, in reading one of the commentaries for this, I came across this paragraph that explains this, this well and it says that, it's a, a quote of John Calvin. It says that the gospel is a medicine which purges us by wholesome vomiting but that there are many dogs who will swallow again what they have vomited to their own ruin. And the gospel is also a laver, laver, which cleanses our uncleanliness. But there are many swine who immediately after washing roll themselves again in the mud. At the same time, the godly are reminded to take heed to themselves, except they wish to be deemed dogs or swine. And what he's saying there is that this, the vomit, this, this idea of the dog vomiting, this, it's the gospel that causes that. It purges us from our selfishness. It's only the gospel that can pierce us into showing us what needs to go. And then it's Christ's power that keeps us in that. And so we need to focus on his power instead of our own. And we need to be able to see that, that when we walk under our own power, it feels good and it feels comforting, but it's leading you nowhere. Because eventually you'll fall Away, because it's your works, and we cannot accomplish that. That's why we say this is their plight. They don't understand it, but this is this negative situation they're in. They they might have come to some sort of knowledge, this head knowledge of Jesus that's readily available. Yet there hasn't been this internal submission, this change, and this rebirth by the Spirit's power to give you the ability to walk in that. That's why Peter says it's better for them to not have known than to know and turn away because now people in this situation, it's gonna be harder for them to truly submit to the gospel because it's this feeling that I've got it figured out. I feel like I'm doing it right and they could even be involved in ministry. They could be involved in ministry and and doing things for the church yet be so far from it that they don't even realize it and that's why it's better for them not to even come to that point because it's going to be harder for them to come to the true realization of what the gospel calls us to do. They feel as if they've figured it out. That's how you can identify them. That's because over time, we can't walk around and, and see something and be like, oh, I tell they're fake. No, it's this, it's this time that eventually they fall away. They start fading into the background because it's, they don't have the power themselves and it's easier to just disappear than to face the reality because they thought they had it. And they thought they had it most of the time by listening to someone else that claimed they had it. They promised freedom, but didn't have it themselves. And now this freedom was promised to them, all of a sudden it doesn't work. It's not very freeing. So they fade in. That's why it's harder. Because they think they already have it. That's why earlier in this chapter, when he says the way of the truth is blasphemed because of it, is because this is all done under the same name, yet it's not for the same motivation. And you can see churches that do this. And it's not anything that we should go and, and call them out to fight and bicker, but it's something we should do in love and correct with the truth of the gospel, both those within our gathering here and those outward that we know. And, and the, way to, the way to check yourself is to simply ask yourself, is the life that you're living is the change coming from your effort or from Jesus's? Is it your effort that's giving you the good feeling and the the joy in doing things right or is it Jesus's effort on the cross that's giving you joy in life? Because it looks very similar yet it's drastically different. So is it the change in your life coming from your effort or from Jesus's? If you look into your life The answer will be plain. So are you returning to your father? Because false teachers will come. He doesn't say they might. False teachers are going to come, but if we look diligently, we will be able to identify those and we'll be able to identify those after which we'll be able to grow by understanding their methods so that we are not entangled in their deception that they are pleased about. We'll be able to avoid because of the gospel, not because of us, but because Jesus has shown us the way and it's a way that is only driven and empowered by him. That's why in a second, we're gonna sing a song at the end that's nothing but the blood and that's the perfect example of what we're saying. It's Jesus's blood only. It's not our effort. It's not our righteousness. It's his blood. It's his death. It's his resurrection that brings us life. Our effort is nothing in light of what he's done for us.